right, well, welcome, guys. Welcome to episode eight on the Don't Tell God podcast. I am your host, Alicia Juan Ramirez. Uh, now, in case you don't know, the purpose of this podcast is to give pastors and leaders a platform to be genuine and open about their life, faith, and ministry. A new episode arrives the first Thursday of the month. So if you don't want to miss out on an episode, make sure you follow this podcast on whatever platform you listen to. And if you want to, you can follow me on Instagram at Don't Tell God. Now, Today's episode is a little bit odd. Now, the reason why I say it's odd is because we or I can't actually say the name of the guest and I can't even give information of where she's been. Now, there's a reason for that. I'm not going to explain it now because she does talk about it in the interview. Uh, But let me encourage you to continue listening because uh, when I speak to uh, this missionary, it is amazing. We're not going to talk so much about what she does uh, in Africa, but we do talk a lot about her calling and at the fact that, you know, at the beginning, it was quite confusing. She got angry with people. She got frustrated at God because she didn't know if God was calling her. She was probably pretty scared if, if, you know, to, to find out the truth. And I found that very interesting. Uh, we talk about her time in Africa, in this certain country, um, and where it was real with the fact that, you know, uh, as a missionary, she faced a real danger of, of dying. And the fact that, you know, she uh, lived uh, in a, a country, in a place where terrorist attacks uh, were quite frequent. And also, and, and, and lastly, actually, we talk about God's amazing timing and how she's now having a season of rest uh, preparing herself, uh, really connecting back with God, but also thinking about, all right, where is God going to take me? Enjoy this episode. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks. uh, Have you done a podcast before or no? No, never. First First time. time. Okay, okay. I'm honored and uh, hopefully it's a good experience for you. Now, you, I've known you just because of church. You've, you've spoken out of church. Um, you are a missionary, so obviously you're not based in Australia for a lot of the times. But I kind of want to know a little bit more about you. Like, I know a little bit about your mission, but I want to know more about you because something that I find really interesting with, with missionaries is that, um, you know, they kind of have this stereotypical view, thinking missionary, okay, maybe it's this type of person. But you kind of break that mold because uh, you're so young, you're passionate and committed, especially for cross-cultural missions. So for me, I want to know, how did your family and your friends react when you told mm-hmm. them, look, mom, dad, or, you know, friends, I'm actually going to go to so-and-so place. I think God's calling me there because it's not like every person dreams of becoming a, a missionary. Uh, it would be nice, but that doesn't happen. So yeah, <laughs> what's your story? Yeah, um, I definitely never dreamed of becoming a missionary. Um, yeah. And so it was a really gradual process in me. And so I think when friends and family found out, I'd been walking that journey for a long time. Okay. So it wasn't a surprise when I eventually said, okay, yes, I'm going overseas um, because it was a really gradual process. Um, and yeah, I think I have the amazing um, privilege and I'm very fortunate that my friends and family have been very supportive from the beginning. Uh, so I've heard lots of stories of uh, people whose families and their friends and even their churches aren't behind them in terms wow. of them doing cross-cultural missions. And I've never had that experience. Um, And I think that's partly that it really is God's calling for my life, Mm -hmm. Um, but partly also that people have walked that journey with me. It didn't happen quickly for me. Um, So it didn't happen quickly for the people around me either. 
Okay. So how did it happen? Like, yeah, yeah. well, because obviously you say you didn't dream about it. And so, yeah, how did it start? Yeah, I think it um, started when I was in university. So I had grown up in the church, um, but I hadn't, um, my childhood wasn't spent in a church that did a lot of mission. Um, but I moved to my current home church as a teenager and so started being exposed to people in ministry and mission. Um, but it was still not something that I really considered for myself. I'd never really travelled outside of Australia. I uh, hadn't had experience cross-culturally. Um, but during university, I got um, just really involved in ministry at church and I loved it. And I think the first inkling that God might be doing something with that was when I had a conversation with a friend when I was just frustrated that we couldn't get people to join a short-term beach mission team. Mm. Um, And she pointed out to me that she thought that God had given me a particular passion for ministry. Um, And I'd never seen that as something that was different um, for me before that. I just, I thought it was something that all Christians had and should have. Um, And so I started thinking through, well, if God has made me love ministry, what does that mean? And it was not long after that that my Bible study leader at the time uh, took me out and sat me down for a coffee and told me that she thought God had made me for full-time gospel ministry. Um, And I was really angry at her because I didn't want that. Wait, wait, Um, you were angry at her because she told you that you could be a missionary. Well, she didn't. She wasn't talking mission. Oh, sorry. Okay. She was talking just ministry in Australia. Just but yeah, ministry. I was okay. angry because I didn't want that. I was studying at uni. I was planning to be a social worker. I loved what I was studying and yeah. I was close to the end of my degree and I had a plan just to get a job. Um, mm. And I didn't want to rock that. Um, and so, yeah, I, wasn't, I was not happy when she told me that. Um, I did not agree with her. Okay. And... I kind of just pushed that away. Um, But not long after that, I was uh, serving in youth ministry at church at the time and we had camp with our young people. Um, And I had another one of those experiences on camp where the speaker at that youth camp, um, who I had only met that weekend, um, said to me very pointedly that he thought that I should go to Bible college. I was like, again, I was angry. I was like, you don't know me. You you don't get to say things like that. but I realized over time that God was using these people to tell me what he wanted me to do. Mm. Um, and so started thinking through uh, really whether I could do full-time ministry in Australia um, and realized um, that God was calling me to full-time ministry. Um, I thought that would likely be ministry in Australia, um, but I had an inkling even then that possibly it could be overseas. And I was on a long car trip with the youth pastor at my church at the time. And I started um, just talking to him about that, but I was Mm. really nervous, um, not of speaking to him, but because I wasn't sure that I was right about what God was, what I thought God was saying or that I wanted that. Um, And so I was really tentative in what I said to him and told him sort of half of what was on my heart in my mind um, and the other half of what was in there, then he said back to me and I went, oh, okay. Because um, yeah. I had this vague idea that if I stayed in Australia, I could do this type of ministry. But I didn't tell him that. And he was like, mm. oh, if you, st- if you did ministry in Australia, I could see you doing this. 
Um, and I had another idea of what that could look like overseas. And he said, oh, if you, but if you were going to go overseas, maybe more like this. And it was exactly what I had been thinking. Wow. And um, I knew that to do any of that, I would need to go to Bible college. Um, and um, But I also knew that I was I was young. I hadn't finished uni at the time this was happening. I was in the last semester um, and I thought it was important to get work experience and life experience. Mm. Um, and so the first step was I finished study and I started working full-time, uh, but I also started studying part-time at a Bible college. That's really interesting because, well, I have so many questions in my head I want to ask you, but I just want to make a note that you, yeah, even though you knew that potentially God's going to use you and call you and, you know, you're now at the kind of end of uni, you're thinking, okay, am I going to ministry? But that was an interesting decision where you said, now work for a bit, get life experience, but continue studying on the side. Usually, well, at least from my experience, people will say, oh, God's coming. Okay, stuff, you know, working mm. or continue my studies. I'll just go to Bible conscious focus. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I think that's a wise choice you made. Well, I, yeah. I don't know. You can look back and you can say it's wise, no, not wise. But yeah. It was definitely the right choice. Um, okay. Um, definitely. I yeah, I had no work experience or life experience. Um, I, yeah, didn't have enough maturity to be yeah. in full-time ministry at that stage, definitely not to be headed overseas. So how old were you when this was happening? I would have been 22. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so, oh, sorry, what were you going to say? Um, I was just going to say, so, yeah, I felt, I felt very much that it was the right decision to mm. work full-time. I actually, church offered me a role at church um, and I struggled with that because I yep. thought, oh, I would I would love to be paid to be doing the ministry I was already doing at church. I thought, yeah, yeah that sounds great. Um, but then I thought, but I already do that and I can keep doing mm. that for free. Um, what I don't know how to do is actually work as a social worker yet and um, so I made the decision to go into full-time social work, but to start Bible college straight away part-time yep. so that I wouldn't forget mm. um, or lose lose sight of what I knew God was preparing me for. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, mm. tell me, because obviously the theme of anger in regards to God, just about you know, mm. things happening. So how, how did you process that? Because obviously you were content with, you know, just volunteering and, you know, you wanted to uh, become a social worker. Then you noticed that, you know, this theme of getting angry at God that potentially he could call you. Like, how did you process that? Like, and yeah, yeah. Talk me through it if you, if you remember. Yeah. Um, I think God just changed my heart, really. And I've experienced that at a few different points uh, now when, uh, God has, yeah, called me particularly to making different changes in my life mm. that I have started at one place and God has changed those emotions. Um, so I think the anger was, um, it's usually out of fear, um, uncertainty, the thinking, oh, that's just too hard. Um, and so anger might not, yeah, I don't know if it's the right word for it, but frustration. Frustrated, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, God has yeah changed those emotions in me and uh, moved me from a point where I really felt that um, if I wasn't to be obedient to what I was sure God was telling me, then I couldn't be happy. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And I'm, I'm assuming it kind of helps you now and will help you in the future because, like you said, you know, God does that. You know, he does, yes. you know, yep. put you in a situation, you think, yeah, I'm going to be here long term or whatever, and then she flips things around. So hopefully it makes it easier if you've experienced that. Yeah, definitely. So Yeah, interestingly, on that yeah. note, sorry, um, no, one of my friends it. said to me last year that um, when I was making, well, I wasn't making plans, she asked me if I had a plan mm. for what was next. And I said, oh, I had no idea. Um, she was like, that's good because you make plans and you're never pl- your plans never happen. She's like, God has changed your plans so many times already. Um, and it's, yeah, he's done that and led me to better things every time. So it yeah. teaches you to trust. Yeah, for sure. That's good. And I think that's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's good for all of us. Hopefully the, the listeners um, learn from that because I think that's very important. So you mentioned before that you've had experience with, uh, oh, sorry, in, in ministry. Now, it was youth and young adults that you were working with where you were doing um, ministry here in mm-hmm. Australia. Is that right? Yeah. So I was um, in youth ministry at my church um, for many years before yeah. I had headed overseas. Yeah. So um, you were thinking of staying here in Australia potentially, and then God changed yeah. your heart for cross-cultural mission. Explain that process of, um, yeah, choosing the country that you're, you've been to or, or even thinking about considering going overseas. Yeah. Um, this is something I've been thinking about a bit recently because I'm mm. sort of doing it again now for the okay. second time and they've been really different experiences. Uh, so the first time um, I was working, so my first job as a social worker was in youth homelessness okay. and I worked in um, a very multicultural suburb in, in Sydney and yep. about a third of the young people that we worked with, a third of the, our clients were refugees from an African background Um, So from countries like Sudan and Somalia, Sierra Leone and Guinea. Um, And I I loved my job in its entirety, but I particularly loved working with these young people. Um, And I discovered that I loved learning about new cultures and um, just living life alongside them um, in a case management role. Um, And so that um, challenged me to start thinking about overseas ministry because I'd never had cross-cultural experience before this job um and so I went on a short-term mission trip to South Africa at the time um, really looking for the answer to whether or not uh, that's if God wanted me overseas Um, and I had a a great time I really enjoyed it but I felt no clear answer Um, so came back to Australia um yeah still thinking okay, yep, maybe I could do cross-cultural ministry, maybe I could stay in Australia and do um, youth ministry in Australia. Um, But I had um, just a few months after that uh, one of those really clear uh, missionary call experiences that um, I never had an experience like it, but I was, yeah, in the suburb I worked in and I'd gone out to get my lunch um, and it was a suburb where there was uh, lots of Africans and people from all different cultures Um, And I saw an African lady just walking towards me on the street and she had her baby um, on her back um, tied on with a blanket. This wasn't an unusual sight. Um, I worked with African young people every day, um, but I saw this lady and I stopped in the middle of the street because I felt homesick and I just had this sense that one day 
my home would be in Africa. And, um, yeah, it was really strange. I've never had an experience like that before or since. Um, but so that narrowed down the field that showed me that yeah. it would be overseas um, and that it would be somewhere in Africa, which narrowed it down, but it's still, it's a massive continent, yeah. um, didn't limit it um, that much. And so when it came to um, feeling like it was time to actually go, I specifically started looking at Africa and I joined um, an organization who would partner with my church in sending me. And I joined an organization that um, had workers in Africa um, and looked with them at uh, then a particular location, uh, which led me to the country I ended up living in, in West Africa. Okay. And so this, you know, obviously I was talking about it. It sounds so easy, but it's not like I've, like, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of process, a lot of thinking. Did you, did you talk to people about this? Did you talk to your family about it? Um, Like as in the process of potentially going, you know, to another country or when you spoke to your family, friends, was it not, I am going and yeah, I don't know. Was there a mentor or someone involved in this process? Yeah, I had a mentor at the time. Um, So from the time I'd started thinking through overseas ministry and mission, I had started meeting up with a mentor. Um, I think, yeah, I think I was already meeting with her at this point and she had um, been a missionary in another country. Um, And so she was really helpful in uh, thinking through these different things. Um, But I, yeah, I don't think I talked with people about it so much um i tend to be quite certain of things myself before i share that with other people and i think sometimes that's hard for the people around me because Mm. i come to them with fully formulated ideas and want them to be on board um and i've got better at that over time Um, but i think particularly at the beginning i don't think i talked with family um or maybe even friends that much about it okay. because I was protecting them from the fact that I wanted to leave. Yeah. Um, and, even, and I'm just assuming as well, even for you, it would be hard because you're wrestling with this, that you don't really want to yeah. go, you don't want to know the real answer, so you don't want to That's share it right. because, yeah, imagine if you start telling people and then you're like, oh, no, I'm not going. You're like, yeah. yeah. So you went to West Africa, you know, you did the mm. whole process thing. Now, our listeners will notice that, uh, obviously, I can't, you know, say your name. There's no photo in social media. Uh, we can't mention the specific country that you've been to. Uh, can you explain to listeners why? Like, why? Why is that? And what? Um, what might be the implication? Implication if yeah, we we disclose this information. Um, yeah. So the country that I moved to, I moved there in 2015. Uh, when I'm when I began thinking about going there, it was a very a peaceful place. Um, but during the time I lived there, that, that really changed. It was really, I've become really plagued by terrorism um, and uh, particularly uh, jihadist um, attacks. And a lot of the country is now, um, yeah, just controlled uh, by these groups. And it's become a very difficult place uh, for Christians and particularly for expat workers uh, to live. Um, but it's also a place where there is a really established local church uh, that is uh, strong and that is able to continue the work. Um, and so 
um, about a year and a half ago, I was still um, living and working in this country and I came to the realisation that uh, within the context of the risk um, that we were living in, that I was living in by being in the country, uh, but also the risk I was potentially putting other people at because um, being around expats um, raised risks for other people um, and then the limit of the ministry we could do. Um, I realised that God was um, asking me to leave, uh, which was uh, devastating because uh, God had used this sense of home in calling me to this country in West Africa and um, I loved it. It was my home and its people were my family. Um, but I realised he was calling me out of there so that I could go uh, somewhere else. Um, and so we can't really talk about where I've been mm-hmm. um, because of the nature of ministry there um, and not wanting to put people at risk who are there, uh, but also because I'm hoping to go um, back onto the field into another context where um, it's not safe to be a Christian and where I can't publicly be known as a Christian worker. Um, so we need to be careful with my identity. You love the dangerous places, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but I think that God calls us to dangerous yeah. places for His uh, for His glory. Because that's the thing. Like again, I'm I'm just thinking about the stigma and the stereotype of missionaries. So um, even when people say, "Oh, look, I've become a missionary," you know, usually, you know, they would go to countries that are safe. You know, um, especially if you're talking about cross-cultural. So coming from one country that's safe, like Australia, going to another one. What what has been your experience? Like if you're allowed to share, like Mm. where you've been and potentially will go to later on. Like what are we talking about the risks here? Like what are there any stories that, you know, might help the listeners understand what you've been through as a missionary? And from my understanding, like, yeah, you're really potentially you know, your life is at danger at times. And, yeah, if you can yeah. explain a little bit about that. Um, yeah, it's not something I'd ever considered before I moved overseas. So I think I think it's a really important thing to talk about um, and for people to weigh up the risks for mm. themselves in going overseas, um, but also for the people that they support and to know um, what it's like and why it's, but why it's worth it as well. Um, so where I was living in West Africa, um, the risk really became... Uh, the risk of terrorist groups. Um, And I lived in the capital city. uh, So our risks in the capital were much more limited. Um, But um, during the time I was living there and in the year uh, before I moved there, there were um, targeted attacks on places that expats frequented. Um, So on restaurants, embassies, um, supermarkets, uh, that sort of thing. Um, And those attacks um, were aimed at killing foreigners. Um, so that was a risk that we faced. And uh, one of my friends and colleagues, uh, her husband was killed um, in one of the first attacks that they were um, on a restaurant. He'd um, just gone out for dinner with a friend and um, happened to be in the wrong the wrong place at the wrong time and he was killed. Uh, so that was sort of our risk um, in the capital city. Um, but for a lot of my teammates who had been in more rural areas, Mm. um, those risks were heightened um, and there was a greater risk of um, kidnapping as well. Um, So Mm. people might have heard of um, Ken Elliott. He he is an Australian doctor who was um, working in the country that I was living in and he was uh, kidnapped in 2015 um, along with his wife. Um, His wife was released just 
a few weeks later, but he remains in captivity. Um, as still to this as, day. Still to this day. Um, as far as we know, he's alive, um, but he's been in captivity um, for, ye- for years now. Um, he was working as a surgeon, um, and so we think that possibly that the groups um, have him um, teaching them or um, working as a surgeon on them, but he's wow. he's an elderly man, so that's uh, really challenging. Yeah. Um, and there's, yeah, definitely been times that um, he was not a colleague of mine, um, but where some of my colleagues um, have uh, travelled and later found out that there was an attempt to kidnap them and they happened to take a different um, a different route and so they weren't um, caught. Um, but those sort of things uh, did occur um, and they occur for expats, but um, these sort of things in the country I was living in, in West Africa, are yeah, occurring for expats, but um, even more for the local people. Uh, so local churches have been attacked and um, all the men in the church killed. Uh, local pastors have been uh, killed and um, abducted and then killed. Um, and that's um, happening with frequency um, in West Africa, in the country I was living in, but right across the region. Um, and that's um, a reality for um, the missionary expat workers there, but also for the locals who um, they don't get to choose whether or not they stay or go, um, unlike us. And so that was um, a challenge, definitely. Um, yeah, that risk that um, I guess there was an element of risk that I lived with, um, but that wasn't as hard as um, I was in a leadership role um, but the responsibility of feeling, um, yeah, I guess in charge and responsible of protecting the rest of my team as well and making decisions um, so that we could continue in ministry wisely uh, without putting um, our expat team at risk or the local people we worked with um, at greater risk um, because the reality was that sometimes our presence was a danger to them. Wow, that's so many things yeah. to consider. Um, mm. And so, how did you cope with that in regards to you? You spoke about you know you become you you know a leader, and you talk about the dangers of not only yourself but your team and also the people living there. Um, how did you cope mentally with, with all that pressure? Um, how did you go spiritually as well? Because at least me thinking about if I was that situation you know, maybe I'll be like, all right, maybe it's time to go home. But then maybe mm. there's a bit of a guilt trip there, like, well, you know, what God's called us, you know, to lay down our lives. So, yeah, how did you deal with all that? Yeah. Um, I think you just cope because you have to. Um, so okay. there was an element of it It does become normal and that sounds horrible and callous um, sometimes, but we would hear about attacks almost every day and you just couldn't be phased by it every day it becomes normal um but I would cope mentally by making sure I had time for myself usually before the day started so um I would go into the office pretty early um as an office team um which was a mixture of expat workers and locals uh, we would pray together every morning we had a prayer meeting uh, where we'd often pray for these issues and for the country um but before that I would make sure that I had had time with God myself. So I would get up and 
um, have breakfast and read my Bible and pray each morning and go for a walk. Um, and that would put me in the right headspace for the day. Um, so um, sometimes I would go into the office and not be expecting anything and you'd find out um, there'd been a, a serious attack and it had been one of our partner churches. Um, but having that time in the morning um, would help me to then respond to that um, in the right way. Um, yeah, but I think the next part of your question in terms of um, thinking through staying or leaving, um, like, yeah, as I said, it, it had sort of become normal. And so for me there was um, not really any question for a long time of whether I should leave. Um, it was my home and I was happy there and I didn't feel at personal risk in my home or in my neighbourhood. Um, and yeah, so God really had to speak to me quite directly and say, no, but I want you to leave. Um, it's one of those God again, moments again where you yeah. just knew this is God saying, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And again, God used other people uh, for that. I um, had a conversation with a friend who had been in the country um, and had already left um, a little while before. And um, she was asking me about what the security situation was like. And I was like, oh, it's fine, you know, normal, um, which was not good. It was bad. Um, <laughs> and then she um, asked me if I wasn't being like a frog in a pot of boiling water. Because, you know, you put a yeah. frog in water and turn it on to boil and it doesn't realise that the water's getting hotter until it's it's dead and it's too late. Um, so she asked me that and I thought, oh, Okay, that's something to think about. Yeah. Um, and so I started praying uh, specifically that I wouldn't be like a frog. And I um, went into the office um, that day after praying that morning. So as I said, I had that time every morning where I pray and I prayed. It was a Friday morning. And I prayed, God, please don't let me be like, be like a frog. Um, and I went into office, the office and our director, um, who was a good friend of mine, and we worked really closely together Um really surprised me with the question of uh, whether I thought uh, maybe our team should all plan to leave for a particular period of time. Um, so we'd been um, sort of living with the insecurity with the um, jihadism, um, but there was also coming up to an election and there was rumours that there would be um, another military coup. Um, and so he's, he then came up with the question of, yeah, sh should we all leave uh, for a period of time over this election period? Um, and I was really thrown by his question. I thought, no. And then I thought, maybe. Um, and then I thought, oh, yes, actually, I think the team should leave for a period. Um, and then I felt God, God nudge me and say, but you don't have to make decisions just for the team, Emily. Um, what, what, what are you going to do? Um, and I realised that God was saying to me that I was to leave not just for that period but permanently um, because he was calling me to go somewhere else. Yeah. Wow. And that, that would be gut-wrenching because just by hearing you speak, you loved these people. Like you, you felt at yeah. home and, you've, you know, you've done all this process and you obeyed God and you went to this country, you poured your heart and soul and God's like, all right, time to move, go back to Australia, potentially somewhere else. Yeah. How, yeah, what, were you, what was the thought, thought process behind that? I was devastated. Um, I was absolutely devastated. Um, but I had this real sense of peace at the same time. Um, so I spent a lot of that weekend 
um, by myself and just sitting with God and crying. And I'm not a crier. I don't cry. Um, I'm just not really a crier. <laughs> it's okay to cry. Um, you know? <laughs> it is. It's a good thing. Um, but it, that's really unusual for me. Like it's unusual okay. for me. Um, so, yeah, I was really grieving, really crying. But I had this sense of peace at the same time. And so I, I knew, um, yeah, and it was, yeah, very difficult um, because I, I loved it there. And I definitely didn't want to leave, and but I just, I just knew, um, and I knew it was not so that I could come back and stay in Australia, mm. um, but because, and not even to go somewhere that had less risk, um, but really where I felt like the risk that we were in and the risk we were putting others in um, balanced out with the value of ministry. Um, not that there's not valuable ministry where I was living, um, but I'd become more and more convicted of um, parts of the world that are, are more unreached and have less workers. Um, and um, the country I was living in um, has many unreached people, um, but expats were no longer able to work with them due to the insecurity um, because that was putting them at risk. Um, and those who could continue the work uh, was the local church, uh, which was strong and able to do that. Um, and I, yeah, realised that there there are places in the world where that's not the case and um, it didn't make sense to be living in such a risky location uh, for a ministry that someone else could do. Mm. Wow. So you're back in Australia? Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't because of COVID. Is that correct? It was because of everything that was happening, but then COVID kind of coincided with That's you coming right. back. Yeah. Uh, how have you found coming back to Australia? You've been here for about 12 months. Um, yeah. Is it a time of rest? Is it a time of, you know, rejigging? Is it a bit of uh, cult, reverse culture shock? Yeah. What's been your experience? Yeah. It's probably been a mixture of those things. So um, I came back sooner than expected. So I was planning to come back. Um, in April of 2020, um, but that was brought forward a few weeks and then I came back with just 24 hours notice um, in the end and um, got back to Australia and went into two weeks of isolation um, at home. So I got back just before hotel quarantine was brought in. Okay. Um, and when I first got back, it was just a time of real rest. Um, so for me, the fact that uh, Sydney went into COVID lockdown was really good um, because I needed a break. Um, the f- last few months in uh, West Africa had been particularly hard um, along with um, the insecurity. We'd had two medical evacuations on our team and I had been responsible for organising one of those and had gone uh, with uh, my teammate who was evacuated to France. Um, so I was... Um, pretty shattered physically mm. uh, when I got back to Australia and I spent a lot of time um, just sleeping and resting. Um, and then I really just um, began a process also of um, grieving the country that I had loved and that I had thought where I I would live there for um, many years. And so um, there was, yeah, a real process of uh, grieving that and uh, recovering from uh, the different things that we lived through as a team, um, but also then coming to terms with the fact that I had left um, and I wouldn't be going back. Um, yeah, and so that was the first few months really um, or longer maybe 
um, a mixture. Um, and then since then, over the last um, nine months or so, I've yeah been really enjoying um, time to, um, I guess, a mixture of spending time with friends and family and using this time to continue to rest and to uh, replenish uh, before um, moving overseas again, uh, but also um, doing things here. Um, so it's feel like I found a good balance um, and doing some ministry with uh, refugees um, in Sydney, which has been uh, fantastic. It's yeah, you would like uh, great. Yeah, it's it's great to feel like I'm contributing to something, but it's so much better for me than it is for them probably. Yeah, um, because it just um, feeds my heart spending time with people from other cultures, um, and I think that's helped with culture shock. Um, I don't think I so much experience culture shock. I, um, yeah, I think that God has made me to be someone who copes well with change and I adjust well in different yeah. settings, um, but I do deeply miss time with other cultures if I'm not having that. Um, and so, yeah, being involved with um, refugee ministry in Sydney is um, so good for me um, and I'm a part of a group with African ladies and that's just particularly great. I love it. Yeah. Um, because I, um, they're not from uh, the, the same people group. I don't speak their language. Okay. I was going to ask is, that. Are they the same no, group? Okay. No, but there's still a connection um, yep. and that's beautiful. And it's um, really beautiful to have them recognize that as well. And yeah. uh, they, they say that I'm one of them um, and that's really nice. So it's been great uh, for me to feel like I'm able to contribute, um, but it's just also really helpful for me um, in my um, emotional health as well to continue, um, yeah, being around people. And I feel like I'm learning as I prepare for the future as well, um, doing ministry with different types of people, learning different skills um, and being exposed to uh, cultures that I haven't been exposed to before mm. either. That's awesome. Mm. And so I know you can't explain too much, but uh, for the future, what does that look like for you in the next year or two? Do you have an yeah. idea what God's calling you to do? Or yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping to move again uh, later this year. Um, so when I started thinking about a, a future placement, I um, particularly because I really had felt that in leaving West Africa, it was um, to go somewhere that was either less uh, less reached and had less workers, um, or I wanted to be involved in sending people to those sort of places. Um, and so, yeah, I was particularly considering uh, those sorts of roles. Um, but I've also, I had to learn French uh, for West Africa and I speak French these days, which is pretty cool. Um, and so I was looking at um, places that um, my French would still be useful. Um, and so, yeah, planning to move to a region of the world where French is not the majority language, but um, my French will be useful and uh, okay. working um, in a team uh, with uh, people who are, um, yeah, have less access to the gospel and um, I will be involved in um, ministry um, in a community but then also hopefully um, in an admin leadership type role within the team, equipping and sending others into ministry as well. All right. Well, thank you so much. I think, um, yeah, that's really insightful and I really appreciate it and, you know, it sucks that I can't obviously say your name. I can't go, oh, pray for so-and-so. But, yeah. you know, listeners, pray for this beautiful, beautiful lady. And, 
yeah, it's exciting. And um, yeah, I'm sure the listeners and especially myself, we've learned a lot. So thank you so much for being on, on the show. Oh, thanks so much. All right, guys. Well, that's the interview. And I really hope you got a lot out of it. Uh, for myself, I really enjoyed the time and the chat that we had. And I find it helpful and challenging. Uh, for me, reflecting and listening to, listening to the episode again, I kind of asked myself, all right, if God called me to do something radical, something dangerous, would I do it? And probably the next question I asked, um, or I should ask really, is would I pray that God will soften my heart? Just like uh, this person, she spoke about how uh, the only reason why she decided to go is because God softened her heart and she was praying about it. And that's a massive challenge for you and also for me. Now, the second thing I want to encourage you to do is pray for missionaries. Uh, God calls people to do different things in different places. I am aware of that. Uh, But we really need to be praying for those who are doing cross-cultural mission because for some of them, if not all of them, they are in danger and they need to be bold and really filled with the Spirit. Now, before I finish, I want to remind you, if you uh, thought this episode or any of my other episodes was, was good or helpful, uh, please share this episode or share this podcast. Follow this podcast as well, and that will really help me. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you guys next time.